0: and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. So the political landscape has changed in Arizona. We have a Democrat governor and Katie Hobbs. We have a the majority of Republicans stayed exactly the same in the state legislature. Although it does look bit, a bit different with new faces, the spread, the difference is still the same. And trying to, with new leadership, and the new leadership has got a challenge. The new leadership has got to try to keep their caucus together and unified at the same time they have to negotiate something reasonable with the governor because it is going to be different. And there's and just so you know, the behind the scenes, there's a lot of times when a Republican led legislature and a Republican Democrat disagree on a lot of things during the time that Governor Brewer was in office. She she's always been known as a staunch Republican, a, a very conservative Republican. But she had a lot of very difficult decisions to make as governor at a time when our economy economy was in the tank because of the collapse that we saw happen, um, during the uh, the crash of 2008. So Governor Brewer, along with the legislature, had to do a lot of negotiating, it got very tense sometimes. So it isn't as if it's a walkover when you're in the same party. There is a big difference. So but this time it gets it, it, There are very big philosophical differences between a Democrat governor and a Republican led legislature. And with the small majority that they have, um, when it gets to a point of needing to get something done, you are going to have a lot of opinions. And how do you keep your policies and your caucus together and at the same time try to entice moderates from the other party or independents into your point of view? So we're not just – everything isn't just passed by a one-vote majority and then you get a veto like we did on the skinny budget from the governor. Uh, the governor in vetoing this, and this is where I think – and I don't I don't know her very well. I've had a, a, been at the pleasure of interviewing it a, a couple of times. But I don't know her that well. But she is certainly – Um, She is certainly setting the boundaries and letting people know not just what she will do, but what kind of a stand she is going to take. So she vetoed the skinny budget, and here's her quote. Arizonans deserve a budget that takes the real issues they are facing seriously. This do-nothing budget kicks the can down the road, and it's an insult to Arizonans who need their leaders to address affordable housing, invest in public education, and put money back into their pockets so um, the budget approved included 15.8 billion dollars in spending and a 1.8 billion dollar surplus which lawmakers could later decide to spend it was much like the current state budget with adjustments for inflation and population growth plus 200 million extra for school capital and maintenance projects 200 million um Hobbs in January proposed her own 17.1 billion dollar spending plan that would leave about 273 million dollar surplus her budget would shift money to her preferred projects like a 150 million dollar deposit into a state fund that helps make uh, housing available million to create a state child tax credit. She pulls money from former Republican uh, Governor Ducey uh, Universal Private School Voucher Program. Instead, Hobbs proposed to bump the public school funding and about $350 million to improve school facilities. So there are some philosophical differences in these two budgets. And so what the questions have to be asked now because the governor is not going to get everything she wants. Unless we are going to play the game of chicken all the way to the end and not have a budget and do something kind of a continuing resolution or whatever it is, um, neither side is going to get what they want, and they both need to be resolved to that. Now, the governor has said... Very publicly during her state of the state address that her door is always open and she wants to work with the other side of the aisle. Both the speaker of the House and the Senate president have been on this show saying the same thing. All of them saying we believe we have common ground where we can work. Well, they're at some point because I think what you do at the very beginning of something is you put your foot down. I think that the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals is going to come in and he is going to give a my way or the highway speech. He is going to give whatever happened last year is over. And whatever it was you were doing last year, forget it. Um, When you go into the United States military, I don't know what it's like now, but when you go into the United States military uh, in days past, when you cross that threshold – and you've sworn in at Meps, and you get to wherever you're going to go for your basic training. Life changes, and you are you are not the same person you were before. And they do not pull any punches. They start heavy, they break you down, and they make sure that they're building you back up in the way that they want you. That's how that's how members of our military are built. And in any kind of leadership, there is a moment where the person in charge says, "Here's how we're going to do this." This This is not a democracy. This is a dictatorship. Now, obviously, we do have a democracy. The governor eventually is going to have to work with the legislature and our legislative leaders are going to have to realize that although you have a Republican majority in both the House and the Senate, that you are going to have to. Um, compromise. And you're going to have to go back to your districts and you're going to have to explain why you compromised. If you're not able to do that, we are in for a desperate situation. Notice that I'm not just laying this at her feet. When she says this skinny budget is an embarrassment, if she carries on that way, if she continues to do that, then I'll be critical. But it's one thing to put your foot down and say, hey, listen, if you're going to send me this, don't send me this nonsense. Really? This is what you're giving me? Stop it. You go in to buy a car. You go in low. The salesperson goes in high. And then somewhere you meet in the middle. But if you're going in to buy a car and the salesperson isn't compromising – and the salesperson tells you over and over again how lucky you are um, that you're getting the deal they're offering, you'll walk out and go somewhere else. Legislators don't have that luxury. Legislators have got to negotiate with this governor's office. They've got to win where they can and concede where they need to. And the same for the governor's office. She is not going to get the budget she wants. She is not going to get the spending that she wants. And the people of Arizona should be watching very closely. How will they work together? Every and there's going to it is a cat and mouse game. You're going to have the governor talk about all the areas where she's willing to concede and how she's willing to do this, but there are certain non-negotiables that we have to have. And then the Republicans are going to do the same. But behind closed doors, where the negotiations happen, this is where leadership earns their title. Leadership and the the governor is a leader. The Senate president, Speaker of the House, they are leaders. How are they going to negotiate and be able to get what they – the closest to what they want is possible and move the state forward? And this is where we are. It's been a while since we've been here. If you remember, we had a Democrat governor in Janet Napolitano and a much bigger majority of Republicans at the time much bigger majority of Republicans and yet the things were able to get done that was able to compromise. But right now, there's a political climate where compromise is just not something that voters will accept, and that's on both sides of the aisle. And that is where the reality says we've got a one-seat majority in the House and the Senate, um, and we've got a governor that has a plan that she wants to implement, so we're not going to get our plan fully. And there's a base of Democrats that say, don't you dare concede anything to those Republican idiots. And you've got Republican voters that say, don't you dare uh, concede anything to that liberal Democrat governor, and so what we, you're going to have is a standoff because in the end they're going to want to get reelected. They've got to an answer to their constituents. What will that answer be? To me, that is the really significant part of this whole thing, and I'm anxious to see how it all plays out. Um, we're going to do. Did you hear this? We do it every day at 11:20 to catch you up on the biggest headlines, and it happens in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, time to get you caught up on the big news stories for the last time this week. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories.
1: Yesterday, President Biden addressed the recent takedown of the aerial objects and the United States' relationship with China. As I've said since the beginning of my administration... We seek competition, not conflict with China. We're not looking for a new cold war. But I make no apologies. I make no apologies, and we will compete. Are you worried about the idea of a second
0: Cold War? No. I I think that when you've got two economies, especially with China trying to rebuild with how hard hard hit they've been with COVID and the same with the U.S. economy, um, those economies don't want to uh, spend billions and probably trillions of dollars on a war. Um, So I'm not so worried about that. And the Cold War part of it, I think both economies realize they need each other. There are some adjustments happening after this. But we do have to be concerned about acts of aggression. We don't like what China's doing with Taiwan. We don't like some of the acts of aggression we've said so publicly we've said that we will defend certain places if there's aggression against them which i believe we would but what more than anything what we need now is not to look like we're being overly aggressive around the world either i think there is something to diplomacy i'm not saying what the president did was wrong but they have to explain what they shot down and they say they don't even know that yet that's a bigger concern to me
1: Two Arizona representatives have introduced legislation that would end early
0: voting despite many using that option.
1: It's also extremely popular with more than 80% of Arizona voters choosing to cast early ballots in the
0: past election. If it's that popular, why would you get rid of it? Well, they believe that it's a a source of fraud and that that it's the weak point in our election system. What they would need to do is convince people in Arizona that that's true, and so far they've not been able to do that. If they were able to because they have the majority in the House and the Senate get these bills passed, I don't think there's any way in the world that our governor would allow it to become law. But if by some miracle they did, they would win a battle and I think they would lose the war. If they believe that our election system is that flawed, they have to stop talking within their own circles and they have to prove it to the voters in Arizona. And so far, courts have said it didn't happen, the audit didn't say that it happened, they are concerned about signatures. Explain what your concerns are. That's the only way you're going to win them over. And I don't think you're going to be able to win them over. And that's my bigger concern for them. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to get you caught up on the headlines.
1: An appeals court has rejected former candidate for Governor's Carrie Lake's request to throw out election results. The appellate judge deciding that after reviewing the evidence that voters were able to cast their ballots and that votes were counted correctly. Should
0: we move on from 2022? Yeah, we should have moved on from 2020. And I think that that's a big part of this. Um, uh, And let's give everybody every benefit of the doubt. A, A seasoned detective will tell you that one of the things that's frustrating for them is it's not what you know. It's what you can prove. So let's say that they were right. They can't prove it. They've been trying to prove it. They can't prove it. They've also proven that this this uh, message of election integrity and stolen elections is speaking to a smaller and smaller audience. The American people, in the end, the message, you want to speak to voters in a place where they want to listen. And if you're not carrying that message, you're not going to win elections. At some point, you have to listen to the issues that voters want want to hear about and talk on those issues. That's why I think they need to move on because the American voters largely have moved on.
1: Representative Juan Siskamani joined House Speaker Kevin McCarthy yesterday at the southern border and spoke to you about it today. And, and the, the message was clear. That it's out of control. They've never seen it this bad. To quote the Tucson sector chief, before I called this unprecedented, now I don't have an adjective to describe it. Will personal testimonies from people at the border help legislation to get
0: passed? I think what will help is when he said that there were a couple of local Democrat legislators that were in and were on the same page. That when it truly is shown as a nonpartisan issue, that people on the border, the the voice of Senator Sinema, um, the voice of Senator Kelly saying that the, you know, uh, and the voice of Governor Hobbs. Um, not ripping and screaming like Republicans do about how wrong the Biden administration is, but acknowledging that this administration and administration's past haven't solved this problem. I think that's how the message resonates, because in the end, the Democrat legislators are going to answer to their constituents. And if they have constituents that say, do not work with Republicans, they're going to do what their constituents want in order to get reelected. So in order to change the attitudes of the, of the elected, you got to change the attitudes, of the people that are electing them, which means the message has to go to the American people, and I think it's starting to. Hey, great job, Julia. Great week. That's Did You Hear This for another week. We'll pick it up again on uh, next week, Monday morning. Um, We've got so much still to cover. What we're going to do before we close out the show, a couple of things. Um... The Office of Accountability and Transparency was created in the city of Phoenix to have one more set of eyes or a group of sets of eyes to look into accusations of inappropriate behavior by police officers, specifically when it's use of force. And that office was created. And then after the creation of that office, a state law was passed that said, if you're going to investigate police officers as a body, if there is a body that's created to investigate, Police, you have to have a large number of people with law enforcement experience on that board. And it changed everything because as the Office of Accountability and Transparency was created. They were created with the express rules that say you cannot be a part of that organization if you are have ever been in law enforcement, are in law enforcement, or an immediate family member. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to expand on this. We're going to let you hear uh, Bram Resnick over at Channel 12 did an interview with Roger Smith, who was the head of the uh, the Office of Accountability and Transparency. We're going to let you hear a little bit of what they had to say, and I'll give you some of my comments next. Strong Values and Strong Opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. There have been a lot of changes at the Phoenix Police Department. We had the retirement of Chief Jerry Williams, the introduction of the, for now at least, the interim Chief Sullivan, who I've had uh, some very good conversations with recently. I really I really like talking with Chief Sullivan. He came into a situation where the Phoenix Police Department is under a DOJ investigation and they are cooperating. He was brought here because he has dealt with this before and some of his other assignments. I believe he's been in Louisville, he's been in Baltimore, and now he's here in the city of Phoenix. Um, So he walked into a situation and he is doing his best to handle that. And they haven't said much because the DOJ is still investigating. But um, there was also the creation and I believe this to be in response to the loud noise of the Defund the Police movement, which has been debunked and pushed back on. And I want to be very fair about this because I just had another conversation with the, uh, the mayor of Phoenix recently. And, um, you know, uh, in spite of our political differences, uh, she has been at two events with me um, where I was at the event at the same time. She wasn't with me, but at the event at the same time she was where she was the keynote speaker and an involved police officer. And she made an emphatic statement that the city of Phoenix has never and will never defund the police. And I was happy to hear her say that because it's not easy when you are in the party of defund the police. Not that every Democrat is in favor of it, but it is a movement within that party for you to stand up and push back and say we're not going to do that here. It would be easier for her to silently support the police and not step up and say we're not going to do that. But she absolutely did it. But there was the creation of the Office of uh, Accountability and Transparency, or OAT, as it's known. Um, The head of that office came from Cleveland, Ohio. His name is Roger Smith. And... um, He sat down and and talked with Bram Resnick. Now, Bram Resnick uh, is a reporter over at Channel 12 uh, at NBC and, you know, he's been around this valley for a long time as a well-respected reporter here in town and uh, talked about this. And he, he was asked, Mr. Smith was asked what it was like to lose investigative powers. Losing that, you know, for a time or perhaps even permanently losing that. Yeah, that felt like a blow. Now, I don't know that they've lost investigative powers, but what they've done is there's been a rule change. I will tell you what the appearance is. And so here's – we're talking about appearances, whether you like it or not. There is the perception in parts of the community, whether you believe it's real or not. The perception in parts of the community and perception is reality is that there are different sets of rules for different neighborhoods, whether it's color of skin, economic status or geography. There are two sets of rules and police behave differently when suspects or or citizens that they are dealing with are non-white. Now, whether that's a reality or not, that's the perception but there is also the perception that's created by the Office of Accountability and Transparency. When you create an Office of Oversight of Police Behavior, And you specifically say we will not accept anybody working for this office that has ever been in law enforcement or is in law enforcement. You are setting up the perception that you want nothing to do with the police. And the other thing with this Office of Accountability and Transparency perception, again, is that you don't believe that the county attorney's office is – uh, impartially judging criminal cases against cops, and you don't believe that the Phoenix Police PSB or Professional Standards Bureau is holding police officers accountable for bad behavior. If you believed those two to be true, this office wouldn't be necessary in your mind. So those are the those are the perceptions. Defund the police was a movement saying that neighborhoods of color especially lower income neighborhoods of color, are safer without cops. Less cops equals a safer city. That's their belief. This Office of Accountability and Transparency was largely, again, in my opinion, to respond to that movement. Well, that movement has been debunked. That movement has shown that crime gets worse when you do that in the very neighborhoods that you aim to protect and make better. Now, I firmly believe that the Defund the Police movement wanted a safer neighborhood. I believe they believed at the beginning that their neighborhoods would be better off without the police. It hasn't worked out to be true. Cities across this country are facing huge crime waves because of it. I have um a story. Let me find it. California violent crime has tripled as suspects walked free without bail, according to the reform study. The reform policies in LA County, again, by a man that was the police chief in Northern, or I'm sorry, the district attorney in Northern California, and also was the former police chief in Mesa here, George Gasco. The policies of saying we are going to let people out on their own recognizance, we are not going to punish them, we're not going to keep them in jail, we're not going to make them pay bail, and we've seen crimes skyrocket, especially violent crimes. Michigan State University, the shooter, had been arrested on a felony for having a concealed weapon without a permit. The district attorney, because of her policy of racial inequality in some of the enforcement of these laws, and a part of her policy, dropped the charges against this guy in 2019. He should have been in prison. But instead, he shot a bunch of people at Michigan State University. But that defund the police movement didn't work out. It didn't make these neighborhoods safer. So now this Office of Accountability and Transparency is not allowed to exist and investigate in an official capacity law enforcement behavior unless they have a quota of people with law enforcement experience on that board. And they don't. So now the rules of the office say you can't have cops in there. And the law says if you don't have cops, you can't officially investigate the police. So why can't you? do these independent investigations.
1: Within months after Roger Smith was hired to
0: lead Phoenix's new Office of Accountability and Transparency, the Republican legislature thwarted the city's plans. Independent investigations of police conduct were banned. So independent, uh, how do you define independent? Now... They weren't necessarily asking, I don't believe, that it be people that are sitting on the Phoenix Police Department that are a part of this board. If you believe Phoenix cops are going to cover for Phoenix cops, you could have investigations done from anybody. We've got a lot of retired law enforcement here in in the Valley. We've got people that have been retired from Arizona law enforcement and from all over the country. If you wanted people that had real life experience through an entire career and you could do a background check on their career and make sure that they had a career that was at least – for the most part, free of any accusations or certainly any findings of misdeeds with uh, use of force and have them say, okay, you've done it right for 25 years in whatever agency you worked for. Come with us and let's take a look at these and see if you agree that this is good or bad. But that's not what they do. That's not what they do. Um, So uh, Bram Resnick asked about their budget. What is your budget?
1: Phoenix's Office of Accountability and
0: Transparency has a $3 million a year budget. Roger Smith says you can expect to see the office putting out more information on what it's doing as more employees come on board. So what are they? when are we going to get the first report from them? Smith believes a monitor's report could prompt questions from the community that the police department needs to hear. But Smith can't say when the first monitoring report will be made public. He has to wait until the police complete their investigation. But as of right now, when they talked about what they're doing, when uh, when Mr. Mr. Smith, who heads up this office, said as of right now, when they've made a request for any document and they're also entitled to ask for body cam footage, when they asked to see things – They've not been denied at all. That's an important thing here. The police chief and Chief Sullivan and the command staff and everybody else complying with the Office of Accountability and Transparency. When they've asked to see something, they've gotten it. you got to at least give credit where credit's due. I had an interesting conversation with uh, Congressman Juan Siscomani about his trip to the border. I want you to hear a little bit of it, and I'll encourage you to go and listen to the entire interview. But before we close it out, a little bit more of what he had to say. Next. And strong opinions. The Mike Broom Head Show, KTAR News 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks so much for being here. Happy Friday. We are moments away from our weekend. Hope you've got a great one planned. A very good conversation with Congressman Juan Ciscomani today. Very informative. Uh, he is uh, getting a lot of attention in, in D.C. He is a very conservative Republican, strong on the border issue and is an immigrant. He is the first Mexican-born member of Congress from Arizona. And uh, he gave the rebuttal to the State of the Union address in Spanish, which was very big. He talked about that. But he also talked about talked about the border and yesterday going to um, the border with the Speaker of the House and some other members of Congress and other leaders around the country and had this to say about it.
1: Well, we had a roundtable with ranchers, the business owners, mayors, county supervisors, local law enforcement, border patrol, and everyone talking about what they're seeing. And and the, the message was clear. That it's out of control. They've never seen it this bad. To quote the Tucson sector chief just a few
0: weeks ago, he said, before I called is unprecedented. Now I don't have an adjective to describe it. So I talked to him and I said, you know, my feeling on this is it's right and wrong, not right and left, that this isn't a Republican Democrat issue. And many things are justifiably because of philosophical differences. But border security and the plight of communities on the border should be something both parties are concerned with. And so I asked him about that. And he said, yes, there are some Democrats that did agree.
1: There is a partisan divide. And what the, there's a big difference here between people on both sides of the aisle, in this case, I'll talk about our our Democrat friends that live on the border. From the group that we had yesterday, we had a county supervisor that's a Democrat. We had the mayor of Sierra Vista that's a Democrat. And they were all on the same page. Everyone seeing the impacts of this, both on the budgets of of the local municipalities and the county, but also the dangers
0: that it poses to the the people at the border. He talks specifically about why Cochise County is different than a lot of other places. You have the really, really bad actors going through there,
1: the ones that are camouflaged and hiding and wearing the booties so they can't be uh, they can't be tracked on, you know, booties on their shoes so they can't be tracked. And uh, they're carrying backpacks with fentanyl. These are the, the really bad actors, and that's very unique to Cochise County and what we're seeing there. And, and that is one of their biggest takeaways, that this is not only about people claiming asylum and looking for a better life. This is about people trying to do harm to our country, and that's what we're seeing out of Cochise County.
0: There's a lot of issues now. People are, are very upset with us. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas, and I don't believe that he's doing a very good job either because of what's happening at the border, but he works at the pleasure of the president and the policies – he enforces are the policies of the president. That's his job. He was chosen because he would do the president's bidding. That is part of being a cabinet member. That is a part of of what comes with elections. Uh, That being said, I don't believe that they would replace – and I'm not making excuses for Mayorkas, but I don't think if you replace Mayorkas with anybody else uh, during this administration, unless there is a policy change from the top, that you're going to see a policy change in his office. It is those policies that is the problem. And so that is where um, I think that unless the Congress comes together with pieces of legislation that the president is going to sign, there is going to have to be a movement of the American people. And I believe it's happening. I, I've talked about this at length. I'm going to talk about it again next week, that in this country we have watered down uh, legal immigration. We have watered down what it means to be a naturalized citizen in America. We have watered that down by calling everybody that crosses our border a migrant, and I don't think that was the intention. I know it wasn't the intention. The intention of you calling everyone a migrant was so that everybody felt included, that we weren't putting a scarlet letter on somebody that came across the border looking for a better life, but did it the wrong way. But what we have done since then is we've watered down immigration. And I think that's the first step toward Americans turning their back on it. I think that would be a horrible thing for America to do. For Americans, not just for the rest of the world, America would be a different place. So immigration and border security, as the congressman has said many times, are two different issues. But they do work hand in hand because of this. Democrats, even though they may agree that border security is necessary, know that there is a bargaining chip to be had with with what they want in immigration reform if they're going to give their vote for border security. Not only that, we also understand that it's the other way works as well. Republicans understand when the Democrats are in charge that in order for them to get what they want as Democrats in immigration reform, the bargaining chip that Republicans have is wanting border security. So this is where the standoff has been. And so he talked um, about this conversation about um, what we do and how we do this is a valid one. But it's getting to a point where the American people on both sides of the aisle are seeing this and realizing this is a big deal and the Americans aren't safe and you've got to adjust. The Biden policies have to adjust. You know, the immigration problem wasn't this bad before. We didn't have fentanyl before. It wasn't killing so many Americans as before. This is part of being a good leader, whether you're a head coach of a football team, you're a baseball manager or the president of the United States, or you're running a company. You have to adjust when something you face happens. May not be your fault. May not be your doing. But good leadership adjusts. And we've not seen any kind of adjustment except recently on the status, which seems to be helping. It took a couple of years. Maybe we'll see more. Appreciate you spending some time with me today. At Broomhead KTAR is where you can follow me on Twitter. At Broomhead Show updates you on what happens on the show, guests and otherwise. Please follow both accounts. would love to hear from you. And Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram, would love to stay in touch between shows. Got a big week coming up next week, so we hope you can join us. Have a great weekend. I know I'm going to. Until next week, God bless.